Turn over to John's Gospel this morning. John chapter 18. John chapter 18. Talk a little bit about this book this morning, the Bible. 66 individual books written by 40 authors on three different continents in three different languages. How many knew there was a third? Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. Okay. To some, a collection of made-up stories. To others, the very word of the creator of the universe. Amen? And one thread through it all. One thread through it all. One true story leading to eternal life. We're going to see some of that thread woven through as we look at our next section, the book of John. I want to begin at verse 28. We've been talking about uh, Jesus in his final earthly uh, days here. And uh, he has been illegally tried at night. That was against Jewish law, but uh, they were afraid of the crowds and his popularity there, so... They, uh, they did all these things under the cover of darkness. So they had first brought him to Annas, who was the uh, Jewish-appointed high priest, or elected, or however he was chosen. And uh, But apparently he got on the wrong side of the Romans, so they deposed him and put Caiaphas in his place. So they led him to Annas. He had a, a trial there, went over to Caiaphas, had a trial there where Jesus indeed uh, truthfully admitted that he was indeed the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So, uh, again, they considered that uh, a, a human being calling himself divine. They considered that blasphemy. He said, what else do we need to hear? We don't need any witnesses. We've all heard it with our own ears. What is your decision? The council says, guilty. Then they led him, verse 28, they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters, so they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. First of all, I told you last week that you would find out today why, after condemning Jesus to death that, uh, and sentencing him, that the Jews could not actually do it, which you saw here uh, by their own admission. History tells us that though Rome laid heavy taxes on the Jews um, and policed them, they pretty much, other than that, left them alone. They, they, they had a temple. Uh, matter of fact, Herod uh, built the temple so he could placate this, uh, this group that, that had been known through history as rebels. Um, interestingly enough, the Jews, uh, which is why uh, Nazi Germany also... Uh, kind of focused on the Jews, because the Jews always had a higher authority. 
They didn't just go along with whatever society told them to do. They said, no, we have our God and we are faithful to him. So they, they couldn't just be led around like other people that would just go along with anything to keep the peace. So that's why they were, they were troubled. They couldn't be controlled, if you will. So here they are. Uh, Rome has, uh, again, taxes. They, they police them. They look down on them. But they pretty much left them alone, especially in terms of their religion, uh, with, with very few exceptions. One of those exceptions, though, was that they could not impose the death penalty on anyone. Why? Because as autonomous as they were, they were still considered citizens of Rome. Okay? One more reminder from the top, you belong to us. You can't, you're not totally autonomous. You are ours. We have conquered you. We are in charge. We are the mighty Rome. Okay? So they took away from them that, that power of life and death. Also, it's very interesting to note a prophecy all the way back to Genesis when Abraham, if you recall, prophesied over his 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. Speaking to Judah in Genesis 49, uh, verse 8, he says this, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies your father's sons shall bow down before you. Now that's interesting because Judah was not the firstborn. Okay? The firstborn normally was the one who would take over. He got the double share of the estate. They were to take over as patriarch over the whole family. Okay? So all the sons would have bowed down to the eldest son, but not in this case. Abraham goes against the grain here, prophesies to Judah, your brothers will bow down to you. Judah, then, is going to be the ultimate ruler of Israel. Anyone want to hazard a guess who's descended from the tribe of Judah? I heard it. Jesus. Okay. Also, David. David, to whom God had made a promise. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, God speaking to David. Remember David, uh, in his heart, he wanted to build the first temple. He wanted to build the first house of God. God had thus far been contained to a tent, that the tabernacle that they built in the wilderness. They would set it up, they would tear it down, they would move, they would set it up. So there was this tabernacle, and David said, wait a minute, why am I dwelling in a house of cedar? I've got this beautiful mansion that I built for myself as king, and God's living in a tent. That's just wrong. So David said to Nathan the prophet, I want to build God a house. And Nathan says, go for it. That's a great idea. And then God pulls Nathan the prophet aside and says, no, he's not going to do it. He's a man of war. He's a man of blood. I'm going to choose um, his son to build the temple. But here's what God says to David through the prophet um, after that. He says, when your days are fulfilled, David, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 
Now, as prophecy is in the Old Testament, first of all, it's kind of mountaintop to mountaintop, if you can, okay? The prophet speaks to this situation, but then looks to the next, okay? So, so here Nathan the prophet is talking to David about Solomon, who will build the temple, but then Solomon's not going to live forever, is he? So he says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Who is he talking about? Next mountaintop. Talking about Jesus, isn't he? Remember the angel's words to Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 31. says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Watch this. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. You see why I love the Bible? Genesis to Samuel to Luke. We see that thread all the way through, don't we? One story leading up to salvation through Jesus Christ and his everlasting kingdom. So the picture here is becoming clearer. Back to Genesis 49, uh, verse 10, as as Abraham is, is prophesying over Judah, he says this, he says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Okay, now the scepter, that's what the king had, right? His royal scepter. The king, the scepter represents authority. And remember what we just learned about authority. Who had ultimate authority over Israel in the time of Jesus? It was Rome, right? So the scepter, if you will, had departed from Israel, had departed from Judah in that day and in that time. And, and Israel as a nation, that had not happened until this Roman occupation. So now, at this point in time, the scepter has departed from the nation of Israel. The ESV says, until tribute comes to him. There, there, there's a, in this verse in the Old Hebrew, um, th- this can be a hard verse to translate, but it contains the proper name Shiloh. Okay, if you look it up, it's even the, word, the name Shiloh is in the King James, actually. Um, but in the Hebrew, uh, to give you a little background, names were not just at the pleasure of parents. I like the name Johnny. I like the name Susie. I like that. You know, it, it wasn't just like that. Names in the Hebrew culture were significant. Um, sometimes having to do with the situation around the birth itself. Uh, anybody read the book, The Prayer of Jabez? Jabez, pain, okay? So his mom was in a lot of pain. She actually named her child Pain. Can you imagine going through life with a name like Pain? And I, and I love that in the Old Testament. It's just like um, in, in the midst of, of the Chronicles. It, it's just about, okay, th- th- this tribe did this, and this tribe did this, this. And then there's this little thing about Jabez, whose name is Pain. And he prays to the Lord, God, would you... Bless me. Would you be my God? Would you take away my pain? The Bible says that the Lord granted his request. The Lord met him and God's blessing overcame his given name, if you will. Just a wonderful, wonderful uh, 
encouragement to us that no matter what our situation is, when our God is the God of the universe, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, His blessing can overcome any background. Amen? So, um, Esau, for example, was very red when he was born. What does Esau mean? Red. Okay. Uh, Jacob, his twin, was born um, as his hand grasped the heel of his brother. Okay. So the word Jacob literally means heel grabber. Or figuratively, conniver or usurper. And what did Jacob do? He connived with his mom to steal the birthright from his brother, okay? He usurped that position. So, very interesting Hebrew names here. So, getting back to Shiloh. What is the name Shiloh? Two major schools of thought here. One, that it means pacificator. Pacifier, if you will. The name of the town of Shiloh, spelled slightly differently in, in the Bible, means peaceful city, okay? So, pacificator. This works, right? Because who is Jesus? Jesus is the pacificator, if you will. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who pacified the situation. Jesus is the one that came and, and brought two enemies, God and, and man who was rebellion and sin, and brought them together, reconciled the relationship, brought peace, as Romans 5 says. Okay? Jesus is the pacificator. So Shiloh refers to Jesus. The other school of thought, again, because the Hebrew is kind of hard to translate there, when you look at the different parts of this name, Shiloh, different uh, other Hebrew words and things that are, that are a part of that, it means he whose it is, or he to whom it belongs. And you might see some of that depending on your translation. In other words, the scepter will not depart until the coming of the one to whom that authority really belongs. He's who it is. Right? So that works too, doesn't it? Either way, right, Jesus is not only the pacificator, but he is the one who holds the ultimate authority. He is the one who is the rightful king of Israel and the world, king of kings and lord of lords, right? So however you look at this, this prophecy of Abraham way, 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 way back long ago was a messianic prophecy that he will come and, and, and you will know that it is the time of his coming because the scepter will depart from Judah right at that very moment. Isn't that cool? I just love that. So the scepter had departed, and then the Jewish ruling council then could not actually put Jesus to death. They had to get him condemned by the Roman authority, the man in the cockpit, Pontius Pilate. I, I got, all right, I got one, one reaction. Okay. Pontius Pilate, cockpit. Okay. Wow. Tough crowd this morning. So, Pilate, P I L A T E, you all sleeping on me? P I L A T E, 
was the governor in charge, and it was up to him to make that decision. Now, remember, they had held their, their illegal trials under the cover of darkness, so here they are as soon as it's light. we got to get this thing taken care of before the word gets out, you know, and people oppose us, that kind of thing. So they're there as soon as the governor's office opens, so to speak. Okay, But they didn't go into his office because according to Jewish tradition, if you went to a Gentile's home or business, you were considered defiled for the day, and it was the time of the Passover, which was the Jews' Uh, biggest annual celebration, which they would not have been allowed to participate in being defiled, so they would not they, they would not enter his building there. So Pilate, knowing all these things, he acquiesced and came out to them. And he says in verse 29, what accusation do you bring against this man? Okay, so now they're thinking murder, they're thinking sedition, they're thinking he's, you know, done all these evil things. And they answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. You kind of get the idea that their argument's kind of weak, don't you? Um, well, if he didn't do evil, we wouldn't even bring him here, right? Basically saying to him, just take our word for it. Hurry up, let's get this over with, right? Because the Romans, remember, Jesus was tried on a charge of blasphemy. Blasphemy against God, blasphemy against the temple, you know, uh, um, claiming to be, ultimately, claiming to be divine himself, claiming to be the Son of God. That was blasphemy. That was a huge uh, capital offense in Israel. But what did it mean to Pilate? Nothing. Right? He blasphemed me under our religion. So? And, and, and you get... You get his, you know, his, take, take him away yourself. Deal with him yourself. This is, this is not, what do we care, right? It meant little to Pilate. So he says, take him, judge him by your own law. But the Jews said, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. They couldn't do it. They had to have Rome sign off on this. So they acknowledged their dilemma. We can't put anyone to death. We don't have the authority to do that. Verse 32, John's commentary is, uh, chapter 18, verse 32, John's commentary is very interesting here. He says, this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show what kind of death he was going to die. Hey, okay, what did Jesus say? We have to go over to Matthew, Matthew chapter 20, verse 17. As Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. So this was, you know, weeks, maybe months before that. And on the way, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged, there it is, and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. So Jesus had predicted, right, that he would be crucified. But you see, it was because the scepter had departed from Judah that he would even be considered to be crucified. He would not die um, by stoning, as was the Jewish law. Right? That was their law. He would have been stoned to death for blasphemy. But they couldn't do that. So Jesus knows beforehand he's going to get crucified. And why was that even a thing? It kind of reminds me of 
when Caesar Augustus held the census, right? How are we going to get Joseph and Mary from Nazareth to Galilee, back to David's, to Bethlehem, to be born to fulfill the prophecy? Boom, right? Caesar Augustus falls right in line. It's the same thing here. Prophesied a thousand years before, before crucifixion was ever even invented, right? The scepter departed right here, right now. So, crucifixion is possible. As Phil reminded me the other day, I don't see Phil here this morning, um, the word uh, excruciating literally means of the cross. Okay? Of the cross. Even more interesting, um, I, I, I want to show you this prophecy about a thousand years before this happened and before crucifixion was even invented. It was invented by the Romans. They wanted a form of death that was excruciating, that was as painful, as slow, and agonizing as it could be, and they came up with crucifixion. Every breath, every breath excruciating. Because you, you could take in a breath, but the position of the body, you had to push up on those nails just to be able to exhale, right? So just incredible, slow, torturous death. And I want to show you that David, by the Holy Spirit, while, again, looking at prophecy, while more than likely trying to describe a personal painful experience of his own, he also predicts how Christ would die. Look at some of the details in Psalm 22. First one, he says, my bones are out of joint. Okay, I think it's around verse 14 or so. My bones are out of joint. Jesus was forcefully stretched out over that cross, causing his shoulders to dislocate. True story. How many saw the movie The Passion? Right? Jim Caviezel, in playing the part of Jesus being crucified, dislocated his shoulder in that scene. True story. True story. My bones are out of joint. My tongue sticks to my jaws. Jesus being severely dehydrated after the Roman scourging, right? His tongue sticking in his mouth. A company of evildoers encircles me. You, you, you get the picture as you read Psalm 22 that Jesus is looking down from the cross and he sees the Roman soldiers and the, and the Jewish leaders, right? Encircling him. And then the biggie. The biggie, they have pierced my hands and feet. There it is. This was unique to Roman crucifixion. It resembled nothing that the Jews had done in capital punishment um, in the days of David when he wrote this or in the days of Christ. Piercing the hands and the feet, there, there, no other thing. It was crucifixion, right? So David thousand years before, paints this picture of Jesus on the cross. And it just, just blows my mind. Just blows my mind. So you can see from Abraham to David to Jesus, Genesis, Samuel, Psalms, Luke, Matthew, Romans, John, right? One book telling one story 
of the Savior who came to save mankind. The Savior who came right when the Scripture said He would. Right? World events lining up. Right? Uh, crucified. Thousand years. And Abraham's prophecy was, was a long time before that, right? Probably another thousand years. Exactly when and how the prophet said to pay the penalty for your sins and mine. That we might not perish, but be reconciled to God and have everlasting life. I hope, as we've looked at this this morning, that it's given you even a new appreciation for the Word of God and how truthful God was, how precise God was in His prophesying, how, how this Word that has been preserved for us over centuries and centuries of time, how true it is, how trustworthy it is, how faithful it is, not only to show us um, you know, the plan of salvation and, and how God fulfilled prophecy, but His promises to you and me each and every day of our lives. As Kate talked about this morning, right? He's a God that never slumbers or sleeps. I can tell you truthfully, there have been times that I have laid in bed at night. You know how it is. The lights go off. I, I, there, there was this cartoon, um, Baby Blues. Anybody read Baby Blues? If you, especially if you have little kids. It's funny. They, they really nail the relationship. But here's the guy laying in bed, and it's bills, and it's job. And you see all these clouds, you know, and, and the kids, and, and, and this problem here, and the economy, and this, and this, and that, and, and, and all these clouds, and they just smother him. He can hardly breathe. Anybody ever feel like that at night? You're all right during the day, and you're smiling and joking, and you lay in bed, and then all this stuff comes up. And I have literally had to say, God, I thank you that you don't slumber or sleep. i, I got to give this to you. I can't. All I'm going to do is lay here awake and worry about all this stuff. right? And I'm going to lose sleep, and I'm going to be tired, and I'm going to be worse tomorrow for it. I've been there. I've been worse tomorrow for it, right? But in His grace, He's allowed me at times to just say, okay, here it is. You, you don't sleep. You've got to carry this because you know I've got to get some sleep. Okay? His Word is truth. We can bank on it. We can stand on it. We can set our lives upon this Word. He will be faithful. We see it, right? Over thousands of years, we see the faithfulness of God to bring His Word to pass. And if He will do that in the world, He will do that for His beloved children. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do thank You for Your incredible Word. We thank you, Lord, as we see that those words did not fall to the ground, but you fulfilled every single one of them. Even bringing situation, Rome didn't exist when you spoke that out. And yet, there it is, just as you said. So, Lord, help us 
as we get into your, draw us into your word. Speak to us its truths. And help us, Lord, to not look to the right or to the left, but to put our hope and our trust in the faithful word of God. We thank you for that, Lord. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been battling it. You're going through it. Difficulties, perceived difficulties. All of us in this country now, our future is unsure. We don't know what's coming down, right? Let's just take a moment. Let's connect with this God who is here with us this morning. Lord, you didn't create us to carry these things on our own. We were created to live in a relationship with you. To live from that relationship. To live from your blessing, your peace, your grace, your strength. And God, I, I know there's people like me that have tried to stand, tried to do it all, tried to handle it all. But God, I pray that they would join me this morning and say, I need help from this awesome, faithful God. Lord, we reach out to you in our trials. We reach out to you in our struggles. We ask you to come and give us that peace that passes understanding. You said, Lord, if we would come, lift our prayers to you with thanksgiving, that that peace would come. Help us, Lord, when we can't see around the corner to know that you are there and you will be faithful to us. So here's all our stuff, Lord. We, we, we follow your word. We cast our cares on you because you care for us. Here it is, Lord, at your feet. Give us the grace that we need. The grace that Paul found, Lord, who said, when I am weak, then am I strong. His grace is sufficient for me. Help us to find that grace, Lord, that wisdom, that direction, but most of all, that peace to know that you are with us 24-7. praise you. We give you the glory, all the honor. All God's people say, Amen.